Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here again today. Uh, grateful to be able to come and share what the Lord is doing in uh, so many ways. 2022 was an amazing year for Destiny Rescue, and that's because all of us together uh, are doing our things. Uh, let me start off with a couple things. One is, man, this group can sing. Holy smokes, when we get to eternity and we're jamming with God for eternity, I'm getting a seat right next to this group right here because that was fun. <laughs> In fact, let's, next time, let me just, I'll do 20 minutes and we'll sing more. Can we do that, Pastor? So, you know, I've been to a lot of churches and get to speak to a lot of churches. You know how many churches have a pastor that gets up and speaks and then goes over and jams out on the drums that I've been to? Zero. <laughs> so, well, I guess I have to say one, right? Yeah, let's say one, so... Uh, I got up here into town a little bit early today and then expected, so I thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to drive around White Pigeon and see what all is around White Pigeon. So that took about four minutes uh, <laughs> to get through town. I was a little concerned when I thought about you guys walking around town, because I went by one building and it had signs out front that literally said, caution, falling debris. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here in White Pigeon? So... Uh, so I live a whopping uh, 28 minutes down the road in northern Goshen, so it's always uh, fun for me to be able to come up here and, and be with you. Um, I want to actually start off with, and you'll understand this story and how it ties in as we go along here, but this is uh, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. And uh, you know, most of us know to realize that the Old Testament is that part of the Bible that tells about life before Jesus came to earth. Yeah, so if you brought your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, we'll certainly have the verses up on the screen for you as well. Uh, tech team will keep me on my toes if I forget to push the button here on this so, uh, to advance that. So 2 Kings uh, verse, or chapter 7, and we'll be, um, really we're just going to be looking at verses uh, 3 through 9 is what we're going to be focused on just for just a, just a little bit here. Uh, <clears throat> so this, this story took place somewhere between eight and 900 years before Jesus was born. So lots of battles were taking place during this time period where each country was trying to secure its position or expand its territory. And there was a group called the Arameans who were attacking the city of Samaria. And instead of a straight up military attack, they decided instead that they were going to surround the city and prevent anybody from coming out or going and slowly starve the people to death. And it got so bad that at one point, the story tells us that even a donkey's head was being sold for a huge amount of money within the walls. We even read that cannibalism was taking place for survival. These were extremely desperate times for the people of Samaria. And we're told about four men who were living just outside the city gates who had leprosy, which is a disease that affects the skin and the nervous system. And because of the physical deformities it created and the fear of it spreading, those with leprosy were called unclean and they were not permitted to be around the general population. So you can imagine if the people inside the city walls were having a tough time getting food to eat, these guys aren't given any consideration as they slowly starved to death outside the walls. In fact, things get so desperate that these four men realize something has to change. And that's where this story picks up in verse three. 
says, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. And if they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. That sounds like an awesome day, doesn't it? Like, you guys ever, what was that one book? The, uh, was it Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? You guys, everybody read that as a kid? Like, it's that, it's that kind of a thing going on. I mean, talking about a rough day of decision making, all right? For many of us, the toughest decision we're going to have today is deciding where we're going out to lunch after service today, right? But have you ever had one of those days where you look at your options and they all seem to stink, Right? That's probably, you know, this is the ultimate one right here. If we stay here, we die. If we go over there, we die. And if we go over there, we might die too, okay? But they were at such a point of desperation, they had to do something. So they decided since only one option even gave the remotest possibility for survival, they needed to at least try it. So let's pick up in verse 5. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sounds of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. So the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and they entered one of the tents and they ate and they drank and they took silver, gold and clothes and they went off and hid them and they returned and they entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. That's a change of events, right? These guys were going to the camp of the Arameans simply hoping that they wouldn't be killed and maybe some of the Arameans would have a little bit of mercy and throw some food their way. But instead they find that God had scared them off completely and had left everything behind for the taking. So they did what most people would do. They started collecting it and saving it for themselves. You can picture them running around from tent to tent to see what they would discover next, eating and eating some more, finding some stretchy pants to change into, and then going and eating and eating some more until they couldn't eat anymore. And they're digging through all of the treasures and they're going and they're burying them in holes that only they would be able to find later. We have safety boxes, they had holes in the ground. Same concept, a little bit cheaper. But as they continued... They made trips to hide the gold, and as they continued to gorge on the food and the drink, they came to an important realization, and we read about it in verse 9. Look at this. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are what? Keeping it to ourselves. In the midst of their happiness, in the midst of their hoarding of all of this bounty in the midst of sitting around with their bellies full and their bodies covered in nice clothing, they had completely forgotten about the others who were in the desperate situation that they had been in just hours before. And they realized that it wasn't good enough for just them to know about all of this blessing. They needed to go back and tell everyone else about it as well. 
And if you've been here on a rescue Sunday before, you have heard me use the phrase rescued to rescue. Everyone here who has made a decision for Jesus Christ has been rescued from their sin and given the hope of eternity with God. And you have a rescue story and every rescue story is worth celebrating, but it doesn't end there. What God does for you and what he does for me, he invites us to join him in doing in the world around us. He takes broken, imperfect, messed up people like you and me, and he invites us to join him on rescue in the world. And we don't get to keep all the amazing things that he has done for us to ourselves. We share them with everyone around us so that more get to experience his mercy, more get to experience his grace and come into a life-altering, eternity-altering relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. We have to go. We have to take everything that we have been given and give it away to everyone we encounter along the way in our spheres of influence because we live in a world that desperately needs hope. And God has put you in a unique position in history, in a unique setting of people around you and given you the opportunity to share what matters the most. He has put you in the prime position to change the world. So let's take advantage of every opportunity and let's be a part of changing the world for now and for eternity, amen? Let me, let me tell you why this story hits so much home for me as well, because I think about that in light of what we're talking about today with rescuing girls out of sex trafficking situations and places that we go into where we offer rescue. But the reality is many of these girls look at us and go, you know what, the last time a nice smiling guy came in and promised me something, look what happened. And they're in the same position that those four men were in with leprosy. They're in these positions where they're like, I, I can't keep doing this. I can't be where I'm at. I can't survive doing this. But if, but if I go next door, if I go to this business or go to this business, I'm just going to get used and abused again, and it's going to happen again. And here comes these nice guys that are promising me this, and maybe something good will happen, or maybe I'll just continue to get abused if I go over there. But at some point, they take a step, of, ultimately, of faith. And they decide, you know what? Something's got to give. <laughs> Something's got to give. Something has got to be better than what I'm in right now. So my name uh, is Chris Russell. Let me mention that earlier. And I'm here because, <laughs> because kids matter. Kids matter to God. Kids matter deeply to God. And we live in a world that does not value children in many, many ways. Um, human trafficking, I don't know how many of you know this, because I, I, I know I'm sure we've got some new faces here as well. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. The fastest growing criminal activity in the world. I know some of you are gonna be watching football today. NFL makes a lot of money, about $8 billion profit a year. Human trafficking makes over $150 billion a year. 99 billion of that is specifically sex trafficking. And we know right now around the world, there's over a million kids being sex trafficked. And that is not okay. These are image bearers of the king of kings. 
And they deserve us to do everything we can. Man, I look around and I see, I get a little emotional when I see this many kids in a room. I've got three girls of my own. I would do anything to make sure my girls are safe. Wouldn't you? Your daughters, your granddaughters, your nieces. We would do anything to keep our kids safe. But the reality is there are so many kids on this planet that do not have anyone standing in the gap for them. And it's not okay. We, uh, we are one of the few organizations in the world that actually have our own undercover agents. We have between 35 and 40 full-time undercover agents. Uh, there's other anti-trafficking groups around the world that they gather evidence and then they pass it off to local authorities, hoping those authorities will do something with it. But a lot of times those authorities are getting paid off to look the other way. So we raise up our own undercover agents and we're the only large scale anti-trafficking group in the world who focuses on children. Uh, that, is our, that is our focus. Our primary focus, as you can imagine, with sex trafficking, about 99% of the victims are female. So our primary focus is underage girls. Now, in the process of that, we end up rescuing probably about 3 to 4% of our rescues each year end up being boys. And uh, we do end up rescuing girls that are, you know, maybe in the 18 to 25 range and sometimes older than that because of some of the dynamics of what we do, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but I know because we've got some new faces, let me just give you a, a quick update on there's four primary different types of rescues that we do. So uh, actually, I'll start over here. The survival rescues, that's what I'm going to share some stories from. I got to go to Africa uh, a few months back and spend time in three different countries. Got to spend time with about 150 of our rescued girls. And what's really cool there is because those used to be British colonies, they, the girls all know British English. So we got to hear their testimonies straight from them, which was really, really powerful. Uh, to be able to do, but I got some stories from you from that. But what we're finding there is we're not even dealing that much with traffickers. We're not dealing that much with traffickers. These girls are so desperate that they end up having to sell themselves for $1.50 or $2 so they can eat that day. That's their reality. Right. So some stories for that. But we do have the border rescues. Uh, that's a couple of the countries that we're in. They have a giant open border. Girls are going back and forth. And we have rescue agents there that have permission to stop anyone that looks like a minor that's crossing that border. And in that conversation, if we find out, yeah, they're in a trafficking situation because they don't even realize that they were promised a job in this other country or the guy met him online and played this ruse that he was in love with her and wanted her to come to his country and marry her. And they have no idea that they actually are in a trafficking situation. And our agents have permission to stop, ask questions. Any red flags go up, they call back to the family. 90% of the time, the family has no idea their daughter's getting ready to cross into this other country. Takes one step into that country, she will never be seen again by her family. Uh, the good news is those are preemptive rescues. We're interrupting the traffic flow and getting these girls rescued before any abuse happens. Covert rescues, uh, that's when we're going in and we're pretending. I'm not one of our undercover agents. I'm on our U.S. team, but when I travel internationally, I get to go out undercover with our guys. We're going in pretending to be customers, uh, going into places. The girls don't have names. Hello, my name is. Tags on them. Nobody cares what their name is. That's not what they're there for. Girls gather around your table. Many times they have numbers pinned on them. That's how you order them for the evening. Um, <clears throat> but we... We go in and we build relationships with the girls and a trust level with them because they obviously notice we treat them very differently than everybody else. And then the goal is to build enough trust that we pay the bar fine to take them away 
supposedly to our hotels, but that's not. We're taking them away to their freedom at that point. And uh, that, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And then our raids are where we have an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding with the country. That gives us permission for our guys to go in with hidden body cameras on them. And whatever evidence we gather is able to be used in a court of law. So when we get enough evidence, we join the local force. We go in and we do a joint raid. We're able to arrest traffickers, rescue the kids, shut down businesses, and then prosecute those traffickers to the fullest extent of the law. So that, that's kind of in a nutshell. If you have more questions about that afterwards, I would you know, love to help share some more stories. Um, <clears throat> not just about setting kids free. We want to make sure they stay free. So we have what's called a freedom plan. It's a unique plan for each girl. You don't have to read all the information up there, but basically the girl, the people who know each girl best are going to come alongside them and figure out what do they need spiritually, what do they need emotionally, medically, relationally, educationally, job training-wise, whatever that's going to be. We're going to come up with a freedom plan to help set them up for long-term success and safety. And then uh, being a Christian organization, obviously one of our top priorities and one of our greatest joys is being able to present the gospel uh, to these children because they may look at our team as their earthly rescuers, but we want them to meet their eternity rescuer and the ultimate rescuer as well. So we do have a gospel plan. Every country looks different depending on how that MOU is and how hard it is to be able to present the gospel in different countries. Um, but that certainly is a, an absolute top priority for us. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses when it comes to what we're talking about. Psalm 82.4, rescue the poor and the helpless, deliver them from the grasp of evil people. That's what we get to literally uh, be a part of doing uh, together. And I think about this, you know, let's go back for a second to the, that bigness of this issue, right? We said, what, $150 billion industry, 99 billion of that sex trafficking, a million kids. That feels a bit overwhelming, doesn't it? That feels a little daunting. That's huge. I mean, I, I think about back to the book of Numbers. And you remember when Moses sent uh, the 12 spies to check out the land? You remember that? Some of you remember that story? And when they came back, what did the 10 say? What did they say? Giants, it's too big, right? It's too overwhelming, not a chance, right? But then there, there were the other two spies who came back who saw the exact same thing. And what did they say? God's got this. God's got this, right? Why is that? I mean, they, these 12 saw the exact same thing but had two radically different responses. And I think it's because of this. When it comes to issues that are huge and overwhelming, you really have two choices. You can look at the bigness of the problem or we choose to look at the bigness of our God. And we serve a big, big God. And he goes beside us and he goes before us and he cares more about these kids than even we do. And because of that, we know uh, that we can have victory. And let me tell you, <laughs> we've had some victories. So this year alone, this past year alone, uh, we were able to rescue over 3,100 individuals out of trafficking situations. Um, <clears throat> which, you know, and when I, and I say we, I don't mean destiny rescue, I mean we because you guys have been a part of that. This is our, our third Rescue Sunday, and you guys have given incredibly generously over the last couple of years, and you are directly responsible for a number of those kids who now have freedom 
it's directly because of what you do. Because I, I say this whenever I go somewhere for a rescue Sunday, the girls' stories, their rescue stories don't start the day that our agents get them out of the situation. They start on days just like today where God's people decide to rise up and do something about it. And today we get to start some brand new rescue stories. There's some girls out there right now that have no idea that help and hope are on the way. And it's because of what you're going to do and how you're going to respond from this day forward. That's going to happen. For me, that's awesome. We all get to do our part and God takes all of our parts and rescues a bunch of kids. And that's, that's good, good stuff. Can I tell you some stories? Is that okay? So... Um, so I, I went to, uh, in June and July, I spent three weeks in Africa and is, is this live streamed? Is it? No. Okay. So I can talk a little bit, a little bit more openly. We have some countries that are undisclosed countries because of the, the severe danger level for our frontline agents. Uh, we have some countries that are pilot countries. Anytime we start in a brand new country, it's always a pilot country until we make sure that we've got those relationships established and we've built something that we truly believe is sustainable then it becomes a disclosed country or stays an undisclosed country. So when I was in Africa, I got to spend, we had two project sites in Uganda, which is a disclosed country. You'll see about that on social media. Uh, social media, if you're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, we have accounts on all three of those. So make sure that you're following along. Lots of great stuff every day. Um, so Uganda has two projects and then we have pilot projects um, in Zimbabwe and in Kenya. Uh, so we got to, I got to visit all of those, and I got to spend time with probably at least 150 rescued girls, which was just amazing. So this picture that you're seeing here, uh, we're always very careful about not getting pictures where you can clearly see kids that we're rescuing for their safety uh, as well. But this was the village that she lived in. So I, I went over, and I went over with our CEO, I went over our international marketing director, and then our main film guy, who's actually uh, from um, England, uh, went on the trip with us, and we spent about three weeks going through capturing a bunch of stories. And one of the stories, we went to this little village here, and in one of those huts was a 16-year-old girl who lived there with another 16-year-old girl. Those are concrete floor huts. So you know those like um, cheap plastic, like roll-out mats, or almost like a cheap fake bamboo kind of thing. Like there's real. That's what they had: a little roll-out mat on the concrete that these two girls slept on. Toothbrush and toothpaste, two changes of clothes. That was everything she owned in the world. And her reality for over a year before people like you set her free was that her and other girls had to go down to a well-known street corner and hope that a local guy would stop, pick them up, and choose to abuse them so they could get that dollar fifty or $2 so they could eat lunch or dinner that day. Uh, sometimes they got paid, sometimes they didn't. But that was her reality for over a year. So just by us finding out about her situation, just by us getting her into our food program, she never had to make that walk again. Just by getting her started on food. <laughs> Something we take so for granted in that we don't worry about where our next meal is coming from. Just by providing her enough food, she never had to get abused again. Um, of course, then we, we move on from that because we want to, again, that freedom plan. We get her into a job training program. She was in a, uh, our salon training program and is super excited. In fact, when we captured her story in her, her hut in this little village here, when she got done sharing her story, she simply said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've run out of words. Like, 
That's a girl who got, Pastor, I can't even look at you. Like, <laughs> you're a solid emotional rock like I am. I can see that. So I just, I can't, I can't look. <laughs> we'll just get each other going. Um, but in the, I mean, think about that. You know, as we sit here, this is going on all around. Southeast Asia is the absolute worst. They estimate about 73% of the million kids who are being trafficked Southeast Asia. So literally, it's 11.30 in the morning. We go over to Thailand. I believe they're 11 hours ahead of us, 10.30 at night. Literally right now, tens of thousands of kids are being picked up all over the place. It's, it's not okay. We don't get to stick our heads in the sand on this one, guys. We are God's people, and we need to be after the same things that matter deeply to the heart of our God. This matters deeply to the heart of our God. Uh, so one of the mornings, with one of the cities that we went to, they work in the largest slum uh, in the country. And we went to this slum to capture some of this, the girls' stories that were in our program. And we walked into the slum, and like people were looking at you, but they were looking through you. Like it was just these blank stares. And our local field agent said, most of these people are just simply waiting to die. And as we sat down with these three girls with our film crew to capture their stories, while we were sitting with those three girls, more than 60 other girls lined up, hoping that they would be able to get help too. So it was a heavy morning to see that reality. And then after lunch, we went to one of our residential uh, places where they do, the girls live, but then we also have the classes for that. So the, the main three things in Africa that the girls are wanting to do is uh, hair salons, sewing, and catering. Those are the three big ones. So at this particular residential facility we have, at that time, we have about 45 girls. I believe we're up over 90 now uh, that are there. But they live there, and they have their classes there. Do you know what the first thing I heard was when I slid the van door open when we got there? Joyful laughter. Joyful laughter. And for the next four hours, we played basketball and board games and heard girls' testimonies uh, I'll show you if you want to see it afterwards. I got a picture on my phone. One of the girls that was in sewing, her teacher showed her how to measure me, and she went and made me a shirt. And four hours later, I got the shirt. Collared, pocket, button shirt. And it was, a whole, and it was Ugandan colors, and I got to admit, I was rocking it. I'm just saying. But the, and the, the look of joy on her face, we took a picture together, and that look, that is priceless. Because that was a girl who just a couple months earlier was just being used and abused over and over and over again. And now she was a girl that knew she had an amazing future in front of her. Um, and that was priceless to be able to see firsthand. Uh, one of the other things that we did when we were in Kenya, one of the local churches we partner with there, they actually have a network of like six or seven churches that are getting a bunch of their families licenses, as foster families. Um, not a very huge process there compared to here in the States, but a lot of these families were getting licenses, foster families. So now girls who were being rescued out of these horrible situations were very quickly able to be placed with a healthy, loving Christian family. That's pretty awesome. And we had an opportunity. Uh, we went to church where a bunch of these girls went and we intentionally sat in the back. Um, 
I know we're supposed to be focused on God and on God alone there, but we just wanted to be able to take in these girls at, at church too. And those girls worship their faces off that Sunday morning. That was a beautiful thing. And afterwards we got to spend, we went to uh, spend a little bit of time in one room. We had about 30 of the girls who were in these foster families and we captured some of those stories. And again, watch on social media because some of those stories as they get finalized will be getting shared on social media. Uh, and then we had a chance to go into a room and sit down with about 20 of the foster parents. And they stood up one by one, introduced themselves and they shared about the kids that they had and some of the challenges and the rewards of doing what they do is. And then we had asked them to share their why because this is a poor country. And we actually went and visited four of these families. I mean, these are families that barely have enough to get by on their own. And yet they're opening their house to bring in another precious child into that home. And we just asked for their whys. We wanted to hear their stories. And uh, three different people basically said the exact same thing. And man, it's just stuck with me ever since then. <laughs> they got up and when they shared their why, they simply said this. They said, if you can, why wouldn't you? If you can, why wouldn't you? And I think that's really, I think God's message for all of us as Christ followers and here in the U.S. as well. If you can, why wouldn't you? If your family can rescue kids out of this, why wouldn't you? If your church can rescue kids, why wouldn't you? If your business can rescue kids, if your club can rescue kids, if your schools can rescue kids, why wouldn't you? On average, it's about $1,500 to rescue a child. That's been our, we've been doing this for 22 years now. $1,500 literally changes the life of a child forever. And I put this challenge out there because it's just truth. Guys, we live in the richest country in the history of the world. What are any of us going to do with $1,500 in a lifetime that would be more significant than rescuing a kid out of this kind of horrible darkness? And, and if it's not something that you're in the position to do yourself, man, get other people around you and figure out a way. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But if you can, <laughs> why wouldn't you? So as I mentioned, it's, it's about $1,500 is, is the average price uh, of a rescue. And that's, you know, we, when you're talking about undercover agents and you're talking about travel costs, getting into places that we know kids are being used and abused, doing the undercover work, getting them out to that safe place to start a freedom plan. Obviously, there's expense involved with that. And we've been doing it long enough that we have that narrowed down pretty well. So there's, there's something that's very nice and tangible about that. It's not just some abstract thing. We know for $1,500, a child is going to get rescued. And let's go back for a second. You remember the raids that I told you about earlier with the undercover body cameras and stuff? When we do a rescue operation like that, a raid, if we go into a place that I believe, let's say you, you have a, a place and you have 10 kids, 10 girls working there, and I believe two are underage. So I send my agents in, they do their work. We go in, we do the raid. We take all 10 of the girls, regardless of age but I'm gonna divide my operating costs by the number of children who are rescued. So that way we're able to say with integrity, we know for $1,500 a child's gonna get rescued, but the reality is that $1,500 donation very well could be saving seven or eight females. Does that make sense? 
because we want to be able to speak with integrity on that. But we know for $1,500, a child is going to get rescued and very well could be more lives than that that are being set free. So there's just something so tangible about that. And, and let me kind of make clarity here that the finance stuff, like I am not a fundraiser. I, I get that we raise funds to rescue kids, but if I felt like a fundraiser, I'm out because I could care less about that side of things. I care about connecting God's people to God's heart. So there's a necessary component to needing to talk about finances, but it's not the part that lights my fire. Uh, so the $1,500 that, that we know do that. And then the other thing we have, and again, this goes back to all of us doing something is the rescue partner. Got rescue partner packets at the table there. This is the idea that everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. So it's literally whatever monthly amount God puts on your heart to do. And you just consistently give that. And you have thousands of other people doing the same thing. And you put all that resources together, lots of kids get rescued. Um, but I, I have kids who do a dollar a month. I have people who do $1,500 a month. But all of us can do something to be a part of rescuing kids. So let's all do our part and let's see what God does. Now he's going to show up and do what only he can do and set some kids free. So now this is the part that lights my fire. When we talk about you using your voice and taking action. How, how many do we have under 19 in here? How many do we have? All right, good chunk. All right. I want, I want you to hear this from me, okay? Like my team, we are going to be a part of setting tens of thousands of kids free. Your generation is going to be part of setting hundreds of thousands of kids free. And you can be a part of that. I, I, I have elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and colleges all over the country who are part of this. We've got sheets at the table. It's called Rescue Op 120. That's our youth initiative. But we have thousands of teenagers across it. We just had, a ch and I love this when it happens at churches, that the teenagers run with it first. Uh, I just got a call a couple days ago, church in Maryland, and the youth ran with this huge fundraiser event, all led by teenagers, and they raised $20,000 to rescue their peers. But that, that's the kind of thing we have going on, like teenagers recognizing they have voice, they have influence, and they're not okay with kids their age being used and abused like this. That's God moving in our younger generation. And your generation is going to set hundreds of thousands of kids free. And it's going to be awesome to watch. So don't let any, I mean, I, I have seven-year-olds before COVID in Fort Wayne, two seven-year-olds that did a lemonade stand for the summer. And then one of them sold lemonade, one made little homemade candies. Those two seven-year-olds raised over $2,000 and rescued a kid, all right? All of us can do something to set kids free. I've got 87-year-olds from a retirement center that they got their knitting group together afterwards and they figured out, all right, this is what we're making this year. This is what we're gonna sell around the campus and we're gonna set a kid free, all right? Seven-year-olds, 87-year-olds, nobody has an excuse. All of us can be a part. And that, that's the fun part is when God lays something on your heart, to decide I'm gonna do something to bring freedom to a child. And then you take something you already like to do. Does anybody like to run or walk? Okay, eight of you. <laughs> Might need to add something here <laughs> and wipe pigeon to, 
Uh, it's probably all the, the falling shrapnel uh, at the signs downtown. You're afraid to walk in your own town here. So could be it, falling debris everywhere. So, but listen to this. I have a group, uh, I work with Rotary in Goshen. And they're a group that's already in the town. They already know the people. They know the businesses. They have that trust level there. So for two years, we've gone out to the high school. And we've had people put teams together and you come out and you walk and run and you, and you make donations and you share that with people around you. That, and, they, and then the people from Rotary went to businesses and said, hey, would you, would you sponsor us at one rescue? Would you sponsor us at two rescues? Got like 30 businesses to sponsor from their community. Guys, that, that's the largest third-party fundraiser we've ever had. In two years, they've raised $208,000 towards rescuing and restoring kids. Walking and running. All right? We have a garage sale, just had their sixth year. Started off with one woman who wanted to rescue one kid and got other people around her and said, let's sell people's junk and rescue kids. First year, they rescued four kids. Then they rescued five kids the second year. Third year went to two days because there was so much stuff coming in. Rescued 15 kids. Fourth year, they had some sickness, put it together late, still rescued eight. Two years ago, rescued 16. A few months ago, we had it, rescued 20 more. What started with one person with the heart to rescue one kid activated the faith of hundreds in her community to be a part of it and has raised enough money to rescue 68 kids in six years, selling people's junk. All right? I got a Montessori school in Fort Wayne. It was a bunch of 14-year-olds. They did their spring play at school. It was a comedy about families stuck together during COVID. They didn't have any set admission fee. They didn't have any set amount on the food cost for the concessions. And they just took donations, raised enough money to rescue three kids, a whole group of 14-year-olds. All of us can do something. Said kid, what do you, I mean, think about that for a second, seriously. What do you already love to do? Do you know other people who love to do the same thing? then let's do it. We've got a super easy fundraising platform. You can have it set up in five minutes. You share it on social media. All the money goes straight to Destiny Rescue. You don't have to touch a dime. You just add the passion and bring people in. Join people together. Use your voices. Use your influence. Set kids free. That's what this is all about. You guys have been amazing the last couple of years with the donations that have come in. But I want to challenge you to take it to the next level. Teenagers, grab Rescue Op 120. Check it out. You guys can set teenagers free. There's some great resources there. If you have an idea that you yourself are going, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to rescue a kid. We're actually creating this new thing that we're working on right now. It's called Rescue Champions. And it's people who have decided, you know what? This is just going to be part of my DNA from now on. For the rest of my life, this is part of my DNA and I'm gonna do something to make sure at least one child is set free every year for the rest of my life. Rescue champions. Can this become a part of your DNA? This just becomes who you are. You are rescuers. You've been rescued and now you turn around and you become rescuers and you join God in his rescue efforts. It was an honor to be able to be here again. I'm gonna hang out afterwards. If you have any questions uh, or anything, Pastor, I'm not sure if we're closing prayer or song or what. What? Okay. So, um, but let me let me. Um, I might have shared this one. This is a story that 
came across my radar again. And I, I don't remember if I shared it the first year I was here or not, but I'm, I'm guessing since I'm not remembering for sure, maybe you're not gonna remember it either, so, right? But, but it's just one that it motivates me every day to do what we do. So I've got, uh, I've got a, there's a, a quote on my wall um, that's from one of our rescue agents. That's one of my biggest motivators. Uh, it simply says, if we don't find her tonight, somebody else will. Um, and then my other big motivator um, is, is Mew. Um, so Mew is old enough now. What's awesome about having done this for 22 years is now we have a number of girls who have rescued, been through our program, have been reintegrated back into their communities, and now they are significant leaders in our ministry. That's really awesome to see, and Mew is one of those. But Mew's story was kind of similar to some of these other things I shared today, that you know, she, she ended up being tricked and thinking she was going to the big city to get a job at a restaurant, and she got taken to a place and um, given a dress and makeup and given a room and told to stay there, and within an hour, one man after another showed up and abused her. And that was her introduction to this new life until we were able to get her out of that. And she went to, to one of our rescue homes and uh, she ended up being there. On average, the girls are there anywhere from six to 12 months, if, if they are. About 20% are in residential homes, 80% are in community care, because if it's safe, we want them in as normal of an environment as possible. Um, you put them into like, places like orphanages, they get, they get dependent on us, they get used to a standard of living that's not sustainable. So it's not the ideal thing we want, but sometimes that's, that's necessary. But um, she was at, a, at one of the Christmas parties, and she's a quieter girl, a little harder to get, get info out of her, but uh, the girls were having a lot of fun, laughing, teasing each other, and then the atmosphere changed, and they started getting a little bit more serious, and they started sharing stories. They started sharing what they had been rescued out of, and um, Mew finally got up, and she shared her story as well. And when she got done, she looked at our our rescue agents, and she looked at our caseworkers and project managers that were at that party, and she simply said this. She said, thank you for considering my life worthy enough to come and rescue. And that really goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, doesn't it? These are daughters that are image bearers of the king, and they deserve everything that we can do to fight for them to set them free, to set them up for long-term success, and to introduce them to the ultimate rescuer, Jesus Christ. That is our goal every day. And we want to continue doing that. We added four countries this last year. We are now operating in 13 different countries. And our goal is to be in 30 countries by the end of 2030. So we have a pretty aggressive growth plan uh, but we need to have an aggressive growth plan. There's over a million kids being abused out there, and it's not okay. But it takes all of us doing our part. When you do your part, you raise awareness. God changes your heart. You bring people and activate their faith, and you do something to help set a kid free. And you provide the resources that ultimately empowers our team to do what they do best. So do what you do best so our team can do what they do best. Amen. Thanks for allowing me to be here today. So, Pastor.